You need a well-rounded game to succeed in golf. And the same goes for your finances. That's why we love SoFi, the all-in-one app that lets you bank, borrow, and invest. Download the SoFi app today to ace your finances. SoFi, get your money right. Banking products and loans offered by SoFi Bank N.A. NMLS 696891. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA slash SIPC. Hey guys, it's Michelle. And Hallie, this is golf. Mostly. We are not in the LA Golf Clubhouse today. Michelle, where are we? We are at the Tiger Woods Center on Nike campus. We try to bring the sign, but it wouldn't fit in Hallie's carry-on bag, surprisingly. I tried. It's light enough. It, it would maybe, listen, I know you give me a lot of crap for not having pre-check, but. If I would not take that through pre-check for you. The sign? No. It's our sign. No. It's a, it no. would be mutually beneficial. No. Okay, whatever. Um, we'll, we'll pick that up at a later date. But yes, we are here at Nike headquarters to celebrate Just Do It Day, JDI, as as the, the Nike folks call it. As the cool kids as call cool it. As the cool kids call it. Um, but really, really cool to be here. Michelle, you have been with Nike for as long as I've known you, which is a, a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that relationship. I've been with Nike for like half my life, literally. Signed with them. They were my first sponsor, um, 16th birthday. And I just remember like growing up, you know, seeing Serena Williams and Tiger Woods and just being like, I want to be a Nike athlete so badly. And for that to really happen and for me to still be with Nike, it, it's so cool, honestly. It, I, and then now you're a Nike I, athlete. It's wild. I know. I feel like athlete's a little bit of a stretch because I'm like, I, I feel like that insinuates I'm like pole vaulting or something, but I'll take it. I'll, I'm an athlete. I peloton yeah. occasionally. I bet so. you would beat me in a like a hundred meter race. Me? Yes. No. I'm I, not a good runner. Or anything else, I swimming feel like. maybe I could probably beat you. Yeah, and we're doing a workout, you know, with the employees and the other athletes. Yeah, we're yeah we got to work out. Yeah, we got to yeah, work out. Yeah, so right, cool. you know, well, hopefully there's no burpees involved or anything. Yeah. You know, but super I, athletic. Super, super. Yeah, we're we are athletes. But I mean, you're you you're a major winner, so you legit are. But um, one thing that I think is really cool that I learned that that Nike does is they support the epson tour athletes which are is for people that don't know what the epson tour is it's the developmental tour for the lpga and like you said when you were young and all you wanted to do was be a nike athlete i just can't imagine for someone that's trying to be a professional and make a living especially in the developmental tour to have the support of a company like nike and to be like oh my god nike believes in me and they think i can do it like i can't imagine how much confidence that would give somebody that is a young fledgling professional yeah for sure there's very few brands that do that right there's mm -hmm. very few brands that make you iconic make you a legend and having the swoosh like definitely does that it's just like one of those things where you just step out on the court or the course with confidence. What you wear, what you wear in your shoes, your hat. And if you know you're wearing Nike, I think you like you walk differently than mm. if you like wore another brand. You know, it's cool. Yeah, I, I walk differently. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's no big deal. No I know, deal. Your, your fits are a lot more fly these days. Thank you, thank you. I got to uh, shout out to Mike, my Nike guy. He hooks me up. 
I'm looking good. But yeah, so we're here on this Nike campus, which is incredible. We're sitting in the Tiger Woods Center. We went earlier to the new Serena building. That was insane. Oh my God, yeah. In the cafeteria, they had Poke Bowls, which poke we bowls. all know that I love. A little spicy. But very good. But like a slow burn. Yeah. Like they have these fresh jalapenos in there. And I'm good with spice, but I think I like, you know when you bite on a seed mm. accidentally? Because I feel like I just like just try to swallow those yeah. instead of like really biting down. And I think I bit down, it was like the slowest burn ever. Yeah. But it was okay. It's gonna but, happen out there. You yeah. Run the risk with the but I don't I mean if we didn't have our people with us, I would have been lost for days trying to find the meeting rooms. I mean, it was so large and it's so cool to see these huge nice buildings dedicated to female athletes. Having Serena's building be that nice and that big, it's just so inspiring. And to see that they have mother rooms in all the floors, and it's just, it's just really cool. Really cool. I and mean, the LeBron building opened, I think, a couple days ago as well. So, isn't that good? I think today. Today? No, yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. So we're, yesterday. Um, we haven't checked that one out yet, but we will. We'll do that a little bit later today. Uh, but yeah, JDI 50th anniversary of Nike, yeah. which is pretty insane. 75,000 employees globally at Nike. So, I mean, it really is just That's, just an in, insanely large That's crazy. dynasty of a company. Yeah, and I was actually looking up the history of Nike Golf. Um, I didn't know that in 1985, Nike Golf signed Sebi Ballesteros. Oh. Like, isn't that cool? A little that fun really cool. tidbit. That is a fun tidbit. Yeah. Do you have any other tidbits? Okay, let's see what else I have here. 1993, the Hogan Tour becomes Nike Tour. Do you all remember that? In 1993? Yeah, do you remember? Were, I was you, were you born? How old do you, you remember this, Hallie? I, <laughs> do you, uh, yes. you have a vivid memory. That was a lovely moment. How old were you then? Oh, so now we, we, we yeah. don't want to discuss your age, though. So We're not going to discuss my age. I was a, a question mark of a year at 1993. <laughs> but did you ever play Nike clubs? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was always a Callaway girl. Did you play Nike clubs? Yes. <laughs> wait, well, what, wait, but when did they when did they stop making Nike? Gold? I think it was like 2016. But I uh, remember going into my Florida house mm -hmm. and opening up the garage, and like that garage is like a museum of old golf clubs. Like every golf club that I had since I was a kid is in that mm. garage, and I just saw all the old Nike drivers, Nike wedges, and it just like really brought me back. Um, and it was like really cool. It kind of got me like a little teared up. Saying the Sasquatch driver. I do love that name. Yeah. Whoever came up with that name for a golf club, Sasquatch and Big Bertha are oh, the yeah. two most iconic golf club names there yeah. ever have been. I remember like, you know, the golf balls, they all had like different names to it. And I would always like try out the prototype. So I would never know the names of the golf balls or clubs that I would try out because there'd be no name. Like I would get a Nike ball with no name on it. I remember like my first press conference when the 20XI ball came out, me and Suzanne Pedersen were doing a interview together. Um, and they're like, oh, was what? that fun? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that in a positive way. We love Suzanne. <laughs> I just feel like you'd be laughing the whole time. Yeah, we are. They could not keep a straight face, but especially when this happened, because we they were Suzanne like, on the podcast. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Um, we were, they were asking us like, oh, what ball are you using this year? And I was like, I remember there was like the ball was on the side of my head, the name of the ball. And it was like in this like metallic um, material that like, like came out a little bit. So I was trying to read the side of my head, like Braille. Like Braille? You're trying to read the name of so the I'm ball? Like, I'm like, 
two zero x one. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this was like, please cut this. It's like a live press conference. I was like, it's oh so bad. Um, but yeah, That's Nike so golf memories, and now they're you know really focusing on shoes and mm-hmm. apparel, and they're just killing it in the shoe space. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of shoes. You've had a lot of iconic looks over the years with Nike, and one of them that comes to mind is the the Swarovski encrusted <laughs> Solheim shoes, which I didn't even realize that you told me earlier. You didn't, you couldn't even play in them because I you were blinded. Literally, the ball. No, it wasn't the fact that I was blinded. I just felt like if I angled them the right way, You're I could blind my partners. And okay, it was like these high top blazers, which I don't know if you remember, but I, um, those were my favorite shoes when I played for a while. Um, they were high top blazers and they encrusted, I want to say like a ridiculous amount, like 2,000 or 3,000 Swarovski crystals all over the shoe. The entire shoe was crystals. And they're not like cheap crystals. They're like, you know, really expensive crystals. Mm. And we're out in, you know, Iowa, in the middle of the summer <laughs> and I'm just like I came out and I'm like this is so cool indoors I was like I'm gonna wear these all week these are my jam and I actually got to the golf course I was like I can't wear these like were they heavy they weren't that heavy okay. they weren't bad it was just if I was like this is not good golf adequate <laughs> if I just like shine my shoe towards Suzanne a little just bit blinding like, everybody. yeah that was oh, a good man, play that's too good but I mean that I'm trying to think what other like iconic Michelle well there's you, you had the pink hair for a while, like, like the rainbow hair. That was another iconic look. There's so many. There's so many. Yeah, we. Uh, I think we caused a lot of ruckus. A couple, I think like in 2018, um, when we came out with like Racerback Oh, the Racerback tops. polo. You thought that a lot of calls. Oh, yeah. A lot of conversations at the tour as well. Um, and, you know, we came out with skirts that were meant the biker shorts were meant to be seen which Mm. i thought was really cool um you know instead of being hidden they were being seen but you know i think nike always pushes the boundaries which Mm. i think it's really important for us golfers to do you know we have to you know keep diversifying the game getting the game younger making it more accessible for younger kids and i think clothing is where it really begins Mm. you know i feel like when you go to a golf course you see all these rules on a sign saying you can't do this you can't do that and it's just there's so many rules in golf but i think you're your outfit can sometimes be a rebellion to that. And I felt like a lot of times, like my pink hair, my rainbow hair was like my way of kind of rebelling against the status quo and what you should look like as a golfer. Yeah. Well, now that you're not playing as much, you're gonna have a little bit more time to maybe do some brainstorming and work with Nike. What exactly do you think that will look like going forward? It's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, been on a lot of calls, a lot of in-person meetings, you know, about design. I can't share too much. But it's been a lot of fun being more involved in the process. Well, I know you got a couple meetings here this week, but I'm really here just to enjoy the the JDI party, which I would read a little bit about on my iPad, but it died. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but it is a party. But I do hear Drake is here. I heard a, a little allegedly. Allegedly. Shh! Don't tell anyone. Don't Drake don't, is don't here. Don't tell anyone. But Drake may or may not be present on campus so we got to move our set outside yes we are and before we go i just want to take a second to thank our presenting sponsor la golf i get asked almost every day what is la golf well short answer is they partner with the best players to make the most technologically advanced shaft and putters ever made but first let's start with the fact that la golf truly partners with players 
DJ, Bryson, and all, all invested and joined the board. LA Golf is the only American-made shafts and have proprietary design structure and anti-vibration material to make them stiffer without being heavier and still feel buttery soft. One club fitter said that the driver shafts are adding 12 to 14 yards of carry on average nationwide. Then, this year, LA Golf launched the first ever carbon putter with a 50% larger sweet spot, the stiffest shaft in the industry, and descending loft face technology that allows your ball to roll more quickly off the face instead of skipping and skidding. Personally, having dealt with injuries my whole life, the shafts not only improve my ball flight, but allow me to swing without pain. And the first time I ever tried the putter, my mind was blown. I felt like I cut the break in half because how about true it rolls? Go to lagolf.co and feel for yourself. Thanks so much to LA Golf. All right, Michelle, let's head outside and see if we can find Drake. He may or may not be here. Well, well yeah, yeah, he may or may not, but let's go see if we can find <laughs> Roger Thiel, welcome to the LA Golf Clubhouse. First, let me start this conversation with an apology. We had this conversation already at the Nike headquarters, and then yours truly did not record it properly. Yeah. So cannot thank you enough for your grace and time for doing this again with us. A question that I had to ask, though, was it just mine that got messed up, or did y'all lose every interview that you had? No, we got Drake's interview. Not mine. <laughs> not Roger's, but we That's got cool. Drake's. That's the mic cool. turned on for Drake. The mic turned on <laughs> for Drake. No, we did that one uh, with a cell phone, and yeah. you guys will hear that a little bit later. But Roger, I know we were joking about finding Drake. We actually did find him. Yeah, I was sad. I really wanted to be a part of that, you know, that treasure hunt. Um, but what I found out at Nike World Headquarters in so many ways is that it's levels to, like, who you are and the things that you can do there. And, uh, and the fact that y'all pulled that off, I'm like, in, in retrospect, no way I could have. <laughs> Got, gotten into the spaces that y'all needed to get to to make that happen. That was all Michelle. That no, was all Michelle. It was really by chance. We planned as well as we could. Yeah. But we really saw him on the way to the bathroom. <laughs> that is true. We were, you know, trying to get in with all these important C-level execs, and ultimately it was just passing on the way to the bathroom. And that's it. Just put him on. Oh, we were looking for you. <laughs> oh, hey, mind if we just steal you for a few seconds exactly. talking about golf? But we really do appreciate you coming by and excited to have this conversation again. Exactly. Exactly. You know, take two is always, you know, like player B is uh, is always legendary. I mm. have a feeling that this is going, you know, level up what we did the first time around by, For sure. by miles. I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. So, Roger, so much we want to get into. First thing first that I think a lot of people probably don't know about you is that you're a civil engineer. Yes, yes. I majored in civil engineering. You know, I was always a, a good test taker and uh, and I was good at math and science. And so I kind of went into engineering just as a default, you know. What I realized generationally is that my family was really just trying to get on base. We were just trying to, like, build a foundation for, like, generational, like, upward mobility, I guess. And so my dad was like, yo, you should do something that's really safe and that leverages your intellect, you know. Um, and so I went into civil engineering just as a, as a, as a failsafe, just to get some money and put my family on the map. But mm. I didn't enjoy it. And so I threw it all away for golf. I remember from our previous conversation, 
Now you built some roads in Chicago, built some bridges in oh, Chicago. Yeah. So yeah, on the civil side, I was on the the transportation. I, I did a lot of like transportation work. So we did like road reconstruction, you know, interchange design, bridges, sidewalks, like you know, different types of stuff. So you know, if you uh, if you walking down the streets of Chicago, a lot of that stuff, you know, some of that stuff I touch. You know, some of that stuff is a part of me forever. The yeah. streets of Chicago, like. No, the streets belong to me. That's a Drake line. <laughs> Literally. You know I mean? Literally. Yeah, yeah. Roger. You built, the, you built the streets. I built the, the streets. Yeah, yeah. You built the city. Yeah, so like I'm really like in these streets. Like, right. For, like for real. <laughs> for real, yeah, for real. Yeah, different uh, level. Well, we're going to get into a little bit how you moved from civil engineering into what you're doing now, but let's go back to the very beginning when golf came into your life. I uh, know that your dad was a really big influence there. Yeah. So my dad, you know, he's a retired Chicago police officer. And around the time that I was coming into the world and able to walk and, and, and you know, say words, uh, he was falling in love with the game of golf. And so he made sure, you know, me growing up as an only child, I think that the thing that he saw was that he understood how quickly things could go sideways for kids. It's not like you had to be a bad kid. You just had to be in a bad situation. And then your whole life just, it just spirals out of control. One bad friend. One bad night out, as a police officer, he saw that day in and day out, and he was like, man, if I could just keep this kid on the golf course, it's like, you know, the worst that could happen is, you know, he get yelled at by some people that just don't want him to be there, but it's, he's not going to get in any trouble. So he kind of forced me into the game as a result of his passion, and he knew that there's a lot of men there that, that would support me and, and look out for me uh, if he left me in that environment. But I never had, like, a deep love for the game myself as a mm. kid, you know? I'm growing up during the Jordan era and stuff, and it's like everybody want to be a basketball player, you know, and you, you unrealistic about what your height and athletic limitations are as a kid, and it's like, you don't know what I could do. <laughs> I could be the next Mike. You can't tell me. You know what I mean? But, uh, but yeah, so it was like I had the game – uh, and, my, and my dad wanted me to be around the game for uh, a multitude of reasons, but it just wasn't on my heart. But yet, you were forced into a situation that was quite memorable, right? You were, there's a picture of you um, when Tiger's 17, yep. and you were five. Yep. And you were just watching him do a clinic, and then he pulled you up, and then there's a picture of him giving you a lesson, right? Yep. So at that moment, were you like, I don't care about this. Like, I don't, I don't, who is this guy? I was literally sleeping at the clinic when I remember, and I remember this. You, you barely, you remember anything from you five years old? Not really, no. You remember anything? Like, can you think of anything you remember when you was five? So, you know, that's a funny question because I've been thinking about this a lot because do I actually remember these or do I remember the stories that people have told mm -hmm. me and I've now just made that into a memory? So, I don't know. Maybe I do, maybe I don't. I remember snapshots of things. And yeah. what the first snapshot that I have is my dad nudging me very hard to wake me up from the sleep. I remember that. And then I remember, you know, going up there and I remember hitting the shot. And I remember a crowd reaction. And then I remember walking back to sit down with the rest of the little kids that were in the front row that was supposed to be attentively listening to who, who, who would come to be the greatest golfer in the world. And then this reporter walked up to me like, what's your name, kid? And then that's the end of the memory. But I remember... Being nudged out of my sleep, hitting a golf shot, and being asked by a reporter what my name was. Wow. And then the next morning, I'm in the newspaper with Tiger Woods because apparently I striped that shot. Apparently, you don't even remember. But I must have murdered it. <laughs> and the confidence that I took away from that is when there's big moments, I will show up. 
And that's just something that's carried me through life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love that. The biggest stage of my golf career, I showed up. You, at five years old. At five years old, <laughs> I showed up. You know, and so that's that's something, you know, I, I keep that close to the heart. You know what I mean? So have you met Tiger and have you showed him this photo? My dad met him, showed it to him. He came back to Chicago. So this is like when Tiger's 17. You don't even know who Tiger's going to be at this. He's 17 years old. It's like... You know what I mean? It's like he's great, but it's like he's 17. We had no idea how disruptive he was going to be to golf. But when Tiger started to peak, then my dad framed it, and then he came back to the inner city Chicago on the south side. My dad, like, somehow got close enough to him as a police officer. He he flashed that badge. Like, I'm like, Dad, you've been retired for, like, 20 years, dog. Like, relax. <laughs> he's like, no, no, no. It's still good for something. But uh, he get all the way up there, and he, he winds up getting Tiger to, like, autograph no the, yeah, the picture of us. I just feel like my whole life has been putting me in this space where I'm going to meet Tiger one day. We're going to have a very meaningful conversation. Or something big going to happen when we meet. I thought that was going to be when we were at the PGA Championship. I know. And he came down the stairs, and he was, like, walking, getting ready for his range session. And I saw him, and I just froze. I mean, he was literally from, like, how he's from me to you. And, and he I didn't go up. Couldn't form words. Ain't that crazy? I'm a grown-ass grown man. Like, just sitting here looking I, at Tiger, and I just, like. I think that's most people's reactions. But I also, I can't imagine you at a loss for words and, you know, being nervous to see come up, go Roger. up to someone. In a good way, Rock. But, you, but you've seen it, though. <laughs> it, hey, it, that was, okay, so Roger and I both had our very first, um, we experienced live television together for, for the, the first, first time. time. Oh yeah, it was, our first Ooh, time. It was so fun. I believe Hallie. we're gonna get the chance to do it again this year. So, Hallie, this Roger, is crazy. We both did well for okay. our first time. Right. For our first time, right. but I have never seen Roger at a loss for words, and it was just the Tiger incident, and then this one other incident that he you pushed through. You crushed it though okay. when the cameras turned on. He just got a little nervous. Okay, but then he crushed it when the cameras turned on. Look, you this no, this yeah, you guys did crush it. I, I just saw the end result. But it's fascinating to hear that, you know, like 10 seconds before where you're just like, uh, uh This uh. was like, I mean, lost for word. Like, I was frozen when I saw Tiger. But that's, like, understandable. He yeah. Greatest. Like, when they told me that we were about to go live and they told me to say something, I wanted to say words. And I knew I was obligated to say words. But I could not say words. And I'm sitting here looking at Hallie, like, not even saying English words. And she's like, Roger, just calm down. I got you. Anything goes wrong, I got you. Da, 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 da. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. We'll be fine. Blah, blah, blah. All right. Okay. Okay. But I've never not been able to force words out of my mouth before. And I could, I literally couldn't force words. You know, that's what being on the first tee actually feels like. Yo. Every single time. Because when I do live TV, it's the only thing that even comes close to the adrenaline and the, not fear, but the same feeling of like, oh my God, am I gonna actually going to swing or not? Like, yeah. it, no matter how many years you play, when they... When you step on the first tee, I don't know. I've always felt really nervous. And I, and I thought that, too, that what was interesting is that, like, I felt that in that moment, like, me and you had so much to prove and lose, right? It was, like, so much outside. And I had internalized that, like, you know, come in the, in the weeks coming up to it, like, oh, man, this could be a really good opportunity to show that you got versatility and you could live in different spaces. But I'm like, man, if I mess this up, my agent not going to look at me the same. Sponsors not going to look at me the same. Like I was like, man, it was all these things running through my head in this 10 seconds. Like, yo, if you get on air and do this, dog, like, we might as well go back to engineering. <laughs> hey, we're going to go back to the streets, baby. But, <laughs> hey, you, you 
crushed it though, Roger. I mean, and the moment that he's talking about where words couldn't come out of his mouth, I think is worth noting that that was a rehearsal for the actual thing. Yeah. When the actual thing did happen, he spoke beautifully and it was all hunky dory. But I think to your point about a moment of, of pressure and being like, oh man, if I do X, Y, Z, you know, my agent, my sponsors, et cetera. That's the kind of thought that someone would have going into a final round of a tournament yeah. that you're leading, right, Michelle? Oh, totally. There's so many things that can go wrong. Because I remember there was one pivotal moment at the US Open, and this is a very pivotal moment in my career because I am a overthinker. I'm not someone that can just like brush things off and like, you know, be cool about things. I always overthink. And, you know, I had a four shot lead or something like that going to Sunday. And then I almost lost the ball in 16, as we all know. I hit into a bush and couldn't find the ball. So now I had a seven foot putt for double bogey and I had a three shot lead. So then now I can feel Stacey Lewis on the driving range. I can feel her walk out there. And I was like, you know, starting to think and starting to get nervous. And I just remember it was a pivotal moment because I talked to myself and I was like, hey, you can either be nervous right. and give this putt a 60% chance of going in. And then, okay, you miss it. How bad are you going to feel? Because right. you didn't give it your all. You didn't believe in yourself 100%. Right. Okay, second scenario, I can give it 100%. And not even think about the negatives that can happen. I miss a putt. I feel so much better about right. it. Right. So why am I going in at a 60% when I know I can go in at 100%? And I just like didn't care about the result at that point. I just like knew. I knew I would feel better if I gave it 100%. So mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like what was a pivotal moment for me. This was a pep talk you were having with yourself before you hit that putt? Yeah, it was within like 10 seconds. That that's was a, deep. a quick yeah. little... And what, so That's Roger, deep. did you have a similar pep talk in your head before we went live? Yeah, I did. Like I resolved that I didn't care mm -hmm. like what happened because it's like I, I, I accepted my humanity. I accepted my inexperience. And I also accepted that whatever I had done up until this point warranted the chance for me to be there to like go through this. And so. Like, I, I earned the right to be there because that's why they hired me. And I also accepted the fact that I had never done this before, so mm -hmm. I'm going to feel weird. And it's like, what do I really care? Like, yeah. I could yeah. still go back to the streets. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it's just like, you know what I mean? It's, it's not, yeah. it would maybe impact me in this vertical of my life. And if it mm -hmm. did, and if I couldn't talk when the cameras were on, then maybe that's not something that I should be doing. Or maybe if I wanted it bad enough, I'll go back and I'll figure out a different way to try and improve myself mm -hmm. in a different capacity. But I had just resolved it, like, I didn't, I didn't care as much, yeah. you know what I mean? And plus, I had you next to me, and I feel like if I started saying weird stuff, you would steer it right back. I got you. Like you probably, I got you. like you're doing this podcast right now. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> no. keeping, us in, keeping us in balance. No, I like, but I think that the pre-acceptance, and I played a lot of golf tournaments in college and then played professionally. I say for like, played professionally for like six months, and I was like, just kidding. But, um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, never mind. But I, similar, exactly what both of you are saying, this pre-acceptance of outcome and being yeah. like, listen, I'm going to put it all on the line. And like, okay, because I used to have like chipping yips. And then I kind of had to have this talk with myself and was like, listen, I would rather hit a bad chip or yeah. duff a chip or thin a chip giving 100% and then know, okay, I need to work on my bump and runs or right. whatever the shot was, then walk up to this chip scared that I'm not going to get up and down and nervous that, okay, now I'm two over, now I'm three over, now I'm four over. And then ultimately 
like never knowing if I had the actual ability to get yeah, on now, yeah. you know? So, and I think it's the same thing for broadcast. Yeah. Like you've never been on live television. And fortunately there's no other way to do live television than, than with people live watching. Te- yeah, to do live television, yeah. you know? But I think that like that's, it, it's, it's so interesting and profound how fear just robs us of understanding what our capabilities are. But it's interesting because like self-sabotage is like a form of control, right? Because you can always fail. Like that's the thing that you can all, it's so easy to fail. And it's like when you put yourself in a position to fail in, in a weird way, you accept that you have control. I had control of this outcome. And it almost like give you peace. Like, yeah. oh yeah, I knew I could fail and I did it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I knew yeah. it. You know what I mean? And, and, and in some ways it allows the world to make sense to you. And I think it takes a lot of bravery for people to like, you know, challenge themselves to try their best and really understand what they're capable of. And but but it's interesting that not a lot of people are willing to do that. You yeah. know, and that's it keeps a lot of us from from doing the things that we're supposed to do because we're not willing to just try our hardest to do things. Yeah. That's crazy. Roger, let's talk a little bit about how you got to this position. How you said you earned your way to that CBS opportunity. How did you start making your own content and go from building bridges to doing real talk and working with all these cool brands? Yeah, it was like uh, like when I, I realized that engineering wasn't going to be fulfilling for me, right? Like, I, it's not so much that, um, that people should take pride. I have an interesting relationship with the word pride. But, like, you should feel joy and fulfillment from things that you give yourself to on a day-in and day-out basis. And I didn't feel that. And so... And it got so heavy on me. Like, I was just trying to substantiate the fact, like, yo, you're making good money. You're doing this, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, just do it. It'll make your dad proud if you do this, whatever the case. Uh, But I just realized that there was – I couldn't be creative. I didn't even know that I liked creativity. I didn't even know I liked storytelling. I had never touched a camera before, like, 2016. You know what I mean? And so, like, 2016, I leave my job, and I'm like, yo, like, I, I need to figure out something entrepreneurship-related, because I'm fully in love with golf at this point. Like, I found it, like, as an adult. You start understanding how you were in control of outcomes, right? Like, and anything that happened was just a result of what you put in. You know, it was like, you were in control of all of it. So, I really fall in love with the game. I want to be closer to the game. Everybody that I know that's close to the game, that's not professionals, they're entrepreneurs. And I'm like, yo, I need to figure out what's an entrepreneurial lane that I could occupy that lets me get closer to golf. My whole goal with all of this stuff was to be able to play more golf. You know what I mean? Like, well, all of this stuff is like, how do I get to play dope-ass golf courses with cool people? So I start trying to start these businesses I have no entrepreneurial experience whatsoever. Throw my whole savings at it, and I just fail miserably, like hemorrhaging money. You know what I mean? And uh, it was very, it was a very trying time for my dad to watch it. You know what I mean? Because he was like, "Man, like I feel like I did so much in getting you on the right path, and I feel like you're throwing it all away." But I just knew that you know I wanted more. And even though I wasn't good at entrepreneurship out the gate, I was. I did figure out that I was good at storytelling, right? So I would have these brand ideas, and I would be like. Yo, man, like, like I can't trust this creative to tell a story. Let me figure out how to do it. So I pick up my first camera. I start learning a little bit about Premiere and Adobe and all this other stuff, just all YouTube self-taught stuff. And I would go into these, like, pitch meetings because golf was allowing me to sit down with different, you know, people that were willing to invest or hit me out or whatever. And they would be like, I don't think that you really know what you're talking about on the business side, but I really like how you frame this whole thing up. Like, could I introduce you to my marketing person? I'm like, no. 
focus on why I'm here. Are you going to invest in me? You know what I mean? <laughs> invest. You know what I mean? But after hearing that over and over, I was like, well, maybe like, maybe I should just start telling stories for like brands. You know what I mean? And and so then I wound up, you know, I've blown through my money. So now I just need a job at this point. Right. So like um, entrepreneurial genes on the back burner. I go to I moved to L.A. Not a very smart decision. Uh, I meet this dude, Mac Todd, that runs this urban golf performance company. And I walk in. I'm in L.A. I don't know nobody. All I got is, like, my golf clubs and a camera. I walk into his business, and I'm like, yo, this is pretty cool. Like, I think I can help you guys out. He's like, who are you, first of all? <laughs> and he's like, where are you from? I have no idea who you are. And uh, and so I just started talking to him, and he's like, look, man, I'm going to give you uh, a job. I'm, you're going to work for minimum wage, and you're going to, you know, you, you can do all of this media creative stuff you say that you can do, but you also going to be a trainer. Like, you're going to make this business money if I'm going to give you a chance to, like, do this stuff. And I'm like, fine, yeah. What do you, I don't even know what it was, but, like, whatever minimum wage was, he, he honored his word and paid me that. You know what I mean? But I did that for, like, two or three weeks, and then I was so invested in, like, the storytelling process, the business. I was close to golf. I was, like, living my dream there. It was, like, three weeks. He, he gave me a full-time position. I was, like, the director of marketing. I was able to train. It was, like, it was this great thing. And so, like, that success validated me, like, okay, I can find a place in golf, and I am – like a worthy creator, you know yeah. what I mean? And so then I took that success, you know, got some freelance jobs. I wanna, you know, working with a bunch of different businesses, started working with some athletes, all of this other stuff. And it's like, yo, people like it when I when I pull this camera out and do my little thing, you know, people like it. You know what I mean? So I, I felt really good about that. And then uh when COVID happens, nobody knows what the world is gonna look like. I was kinda like the last person in, first person out, and now I'm like, oh, like shit. Um I have no money anymore, you know what I mean? Like, back to where we started. Like, do we go back to the streets? We sit in, you know what I mean? But, uh, but so then, you know, I'm sitting around. I got this camera equipment, and, you know, I'm playing golf because that's the only COVID-approved activity, you know what I mean, which was great for us. And I was like, man, like, why don't I just start be my own client for a while? Like, what does that look like? Nobody else will hire me, you know what I mean? Like, why don't I just hire myself, you know? And it was really just the first time I made a real talk was just, like sitting up a camera and I had so many friends asking me like Raj man we want to get into playing golf like you know how da, 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 da. they all take me to the course with you da, 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 da. and I'm like you know what I need to make like a a starter video for people that have never experienced a game that could help them transition into the the sport more gracefully you know and I made this one video and it was really like I wanted to position it as I was talking to a friend I didn't have a platform at the time like and I, I, I literally set up a camera and just said whatever was on my mind. And I hesitate showing people that video because I probably cursed like 75 times. You know what I mean? It was, you know, that's how I talk to my homies. You know? Right. But I think that's the beauty of you, Roger, is that you are so, I don't say overused word, but authentic. Yeah. You know, you don't, I mean, I'm sure that when you work with certain sponsors, yeah, you have for to sure. tone certain things down or not say certain words. But yeah. I think that's a, the appeal of you. Yeah, and I and that's and that I didn't think that there was like room for that. Honestly, a part of me when I made that first video was contemplating if like I would lose my connections and relationships because I had never really articulated myself in certain spaces in that way, and to be vulnerable about who I am behind closed doors and let people see that it was like a weird thing. But I was like. We were all in COVID. Like, we didn't even know. We were trying to figure out who we wanted to exist as. I was just, like, really getting into a space where I was comfortable in my own skin. And I just wanted to have the creative outlet to exist as I am, like, in the real world. And and for people to enjoy me in those ways. Like, starting a business is hard because 
you always catering to the client. So I find myself in conversations not wanting to say certain things or present myself in certain ways because, you know, I don't want them to think this or this. It's like I'm playing chess and I just want to exist, you know. What I was navigating on the on the front end of that is like, yo, if you make a video like that, as cool as you think it would be, this could completely backfire. And like when the world opens back up, you might not have anything to do. You know what I mean? Like the things that you work for, you like people could just like, oh, this dude is kind of like a little too rough around the edges. He's not really who I thought he was or like, you know, he is a little blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I, I, I released this video and it's like it was this anxiety like pushing post on that. You know what I mean? Uh, even though I didn't really have any followers, it was just like the people that followed me mattered at the time a lot because they were just all acquaintances, you know, real close acquaintances or people that I wanted to do business with or whatever the case. And, man, I put this video out and it was like the craziest thing. Like all these reshares, like, you know, all these platforms taking snippets of it, putting it here, putting it there, blah, blah, blah. Golf.com took the whole video censored all the curse words and then posted it on their channel and then Ashley Mayo sent me an email like yes I, th- I you cursed like 70 something times in case you were cur-. I'm like oh yeah I was going for 80 but you know what I mean we all fall short <laughs> but uh but yeah and it was just like to be that received for being yourself it was insane like I I, I pray everybody get that feeling at some point in their life to be accepted for like who you are, I've never experienced anything like that moment when like kind of the golf world opened up to me like, oh yeah, we like you. Like we still like you. It's cool. You know what I mean? It's amazing to see, you know, you all blow up and hearing this, I didn't realize how high the stakes were to go from something so comfortable to doing something you don't know. Right. I mean, it's not like you had a huge following, like a million following. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the next step. I know I could make a lot of money doing this. This yeah. is very natural. You went from, you know, having a, a good job that you said makes your dad proud and then going to something that you don't know. The complete unknown is right. terrifying. So it's amazing to see how well you've done that. And number two, I think with social media, I feel like a lot of times that like you're saying you're playing chess and how you want people to perceive you. And I think the bravest thing that you can do is being authentic. Right. So when you made those like two big leaps, how afraid were you and like you were talking about pre-pep talks was there like a pep talk that you gave yourself in the beginning in the middle when it wasn't going going good and now I think that like the I was always just and my dad conditioned me this way because you know like my if I look at my family uh my dad is one of the most successful people in our family, like as a police officer that, you know, retired and stuff. You know what I mean? Like my dad and I got another uncle that's a, that also was a police officer and retired. And like they are like the most successful people legally in my family. You know what I mean? And so uh, and so, you know, my dad, was, he really had me playing defense my whole life, trying to make sure that I could build on that you know what I mean and make sure that I could you know add to that like yo I'm I'm I giving you like a stable enough upbringing to where like you can be more aware and make better choices and I protected you from certain things and so I always felt like this responsibility to protect like the the foundation that my dad had like worked and sacrificed for like you know what I mean and so um like I, I I've always try to exist in a way that I knew could give me a higher probability for success. That was like how I was brought up. So stay away, like, you know, kind of stay in the middle on things. Like don't lean too far left and right. 
you know what I mean? Like be selective with your friendships and just be very, you know, it's just like you playing defense like everywhere you go. And I always hated it though. You know what I mean? Cause like I would really feel things that like, I, I like wouldn't make sense in the confines of how I was trying to present myself. And it's like, but that, I feel like there's something that like, you know, there's something there that's me that I can't explore, you know? So, uh, being making a decision to throw all of that stuff away, like throw that thought process away, was like it was like traumatizing a little bit. Like it's like it's anxiety inducing. But I think that what helped, you know, is during COVID, I didn't have to be around the people that I was afraid were gonna judge me. Like they were on the other side of the phone. They were like in their houses. They were wherever the hell they were. They weren't with me, and I wasn't gonna see them for the foreseeable future. You know what I mean? And I think that having all of that alone time and not really having to like pretend for so long, you just get very comfortable. Like, mm, mm, let's just, you know, let's, let's just exist. And so I think that like when I, when I, when I shared that, that fear and I was willing to be who I wanted to be. And then I saw that there was opportunity there. The next thing became, there's all these people that still want you to play defense, right? Like all the advice that I get is like to play defense, you know? And I just like, man, but I didn't play defense and it worked. Like I was very just, you know, and so I think that the 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 goal now is to make sure that I stay authentic and I continue to ask myself what authenticity is because it's like an iterative thing, right? Like I know new information now that I have to take into consideration when I'm making decisions, right? Like I found out that a snake is poisonous. Like because I didn't know that snakes were poisonous and I was running and touching them before, now that I know that I can't, I can't touch them, right? So like now that I have new information in the world about what the dangers are and the opportunities are, I have to take all of that in, but you, with, with taking all of that information in, you have to go through the second step of like, how do I process that authentically? Which is, that's like, I think that that's a, this is very challenging to be true. It's not an easy thing to be true in, in the world today. And you know what about that too, is that, I think your point about it's you have to constantly be checking in with yourself. Yeah. It's not like a one and done thing. Mm -mm. I mean, this is a very, very different situation, but I go back to, I still say the hardest decision I ever made in my life was when I transferred from the university of Arkansas to Rollins college, because my parents who love me very much have no hidden motives except for me to be happy and for them to want what's best for me thought that it was a terrible idea initially and for me to have to you know sit with myself and 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 go to my parents to be like I'm I love you guys and I really appreciate all your input but I'm telling you like I have to do this for myself it was so so difficult to go against and I'm sure you know your dad only wants what's best for you Roger your family your friends they only want what's best for you but when something inside of you is telling you that you have to do something different, the little people around you yeah. that you trust yeah. are telling you is so hard. And I still, I still remember after I made that decision, it was like a huge release. And then ultimately my parents were, you know, I'm sure your dad now is like amazing. I love <laughs> You give me some Callaway. Yeah, you, exactly. Give me some Nike stuff, man. Yeah. You, oh, man, my son, he doing the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you yeah, know exactly. I mean? You know, crazy, it's like you know? My, my parents too. Like they were like, they were so glad that I ended up making that decision. But um, I remember, you know, a couple months, years ago by and you're faced with another big decision. I'm like, damn it. I thought big, hard, scary decisions were over. And yeah. it's like, oh no, this is a whole lifelong thing. You're yeah. going to need to constantly be checking in with yourself and asking yourself, 
what do I need to do? You know, poll people that you trust, but right. even them, they're not maybe giving you the answer. Cause they don't it's, know. It's, they it's, don't it's know. all. And I go back to like that, that putt that you're talking about, you're talking about, you got this seven footer for double bogey and you really asking yourself and that's how life kind of hits you. That's why I love golf so much. It's like shot by shot, moment by moment. You have to ask yourself like, yo, like who am I in this moment? And, and like, who am I going to be in this moment? And you have to be intentional about the choices that you make and shot by shot. And that's day by day. That's like me sitting in this podcast. Like, I just I have a choice to make about who I am, who am I showing up as. And and I think that, like, you know, that's it's just it's just so challenging uh, for people to do that and, and constantly choose truth, you know, uh, as, as how they navigate life. Yes, I think with social media, you can easily choose a perception of truth, the perception of authenticity, right? Um, I think you could easily build that. But I think with your content that I see on the daily, it's just truly you because I see different aspects of you, right? It's mm. not like the same same thing every single time. And with you too, Hallie, like I feel like you know, being truly authentic means that you're going to change from yeah. time to time. You're going to yeah. put out different content. You're yeah. not the same today as you are tomorrow, as the next day. Um, and I think that's challenging. Yeah. Um, so how do you navigate, you know, that? Like, you know, you said when you're on social media, you think about a lot what people perceive you as. And it's so hard not to think about that. Yeah. Um, how much do you, how much time do you spend thinking of how the content is going to be perceived versus what you really just want to put out? Being honest, like I, I think about it a lot more. There's a lot of stuff that I've wanted to talk about that is like, it, it don't make like business sense to have an opinion on, you know what I mean? And it's like, and also I need to educate myself further because I do pride myself in like, if I'm speaking on something, I've done some research with people. Uh, I've talked to people about it. Like I, I feel like I've heard enough from people that are close enough to the situation to, or I've had enough life experiences with it where I could articulate myself, you know, somewhat eloquently and thoughtfully about it. You know what I mean? And, but I do think that, you know, the, the hard part now is balancing truth with, you know, financial opportunity because it's like, what is my truth? Like, I do want to be like, like be financially stable. And I do recognize this as an opportunity to provide financial stability. Like, I can't negate that. It's all fun. We kicking it. We having fun. We playing golf, whatever the case. But it's like the people that I'm spending time with, they've given me opportunities and introductions and, and things like that that do present like I'm being presented with financial opportunity and my truth is like yeah I want that stuff but at what cost to myself you know what I mean and so like to to your point saying man hard life decisions like they just get harder and harder and it's like it's no right or wrong when it's not it's not even like you choosing between up and down you're choosing between one degree left and one degree right you know what I mean and it's I think that, you know, it, it, it is just you being aware enough to sit down and have the conversation with yourself and, and look and be present with the situation and aware of the long-term implications of, of the choices that you're making. But you just have to be aware, first of all, that you're in these moments where you got to make decisions and then, you know, have the awareness to think through what they imply. Yeah. And it's crazy. We sit here talking about social media like it's all deep. Like, I know. <laughs> like you know, if I'm going to post this selfie, like, I got to, you know what I mean? I really got to think about it. Is this an authentic selfie? Yeah. 
but I think doing a gut check is like a gut check is gut huge. Check. Yeah. This is what I've learned as I'm getting older. <laughs> when you have that icky feeling in your stomach, yeah. do not do it. Yeah, it you tells know, you. Yeah. Your intuition tells you so quick crazy. and loudly. Which, I know. Yeah. It, but it's a gut feeling. Yeah. And then when you go against your intuition too, it just feels ick. Yeah, yeah it, it does. Doesn't feel good. It does. Ick. It doesn't feel good. Um, Roger, well, that's all really great advice for people to whether it's social media or really anything that you're pursuing as you move through life to continually do those gut checks Mm -hmm. and check to make sure you're on path with your quote unquote truth. What about for people that do want to potentially pursue social media, being a personality as a potential career path? I mean, I get messages all the time. I'm sure you do, Michelle, a bunch of messages about golf and People, they ask uh, me, they're like, how do I, I remember one girl messaged me, she goes, how do I be you? And I'm like, that is not Terrible question. a thing, you know? And I think, but that's like, you can't be Michelle, you can't be Roger, you can't be me. You, and I think the beauty is at least from what I can tell from all of us, like we've done it. It's like, the, I did it my way, yeah. you know, Ooh. like you've got. You see that little shake she do? My way. <laughs> yeah, she you hit know? that. She we hit do that. a lot of singing on this podcast. <laughs> a lot of singing. A lot of singing. Drake song, well, let well, me what know. What advice would you give people, um, and again, circling back to our conversation that we had previously at Nike that I stupidly didn't record properly, yeah. but I remember one thing that I asked you was when you started, you didn't have that audience. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I want to be a personality. I want to, you know, talk to a bunch of followers, but I just, I don't like they think that they need the, like the following doesn't come first. You have to make the content, you have to build it and then they will come. So how do you get over that initial, like, oh, I don't have it. So I can't post it. But I feel like, like people go about it so backwards, right? Like Mm -hmm. they look at and products or like in, you know, results, and then they try to like fit themselves into something that they've already seen Mm -hmm. when the real opportunity is, like you have to understand you first. Like it starts with you first, like understanding your voice, understanding your goals, the things you want to participate in, uh, you know, because any success, it takes endurance. And if you're not going to do the work of figuring out who you are, like the unauthentic version of yourself, it, he he don't have he or she doesn't have a lot of endurance. You know what I mean? You can only fake things for so long. And I think that if people would do the work of figuring out first, like as soon as somebody say like I want to be you, like you lost already, dog. Because like I'm occupying this lane fully. Like this, you know what I mean? Like you know, and you will not. I can't let you buy me. But it's like if you find your own lane, there's no traffic there. You know what I'm saying? You like street references. You know what I mean? It's cool. <laughs> But, uh, uh, <laughs> you better you get on my, the sidewalk. <laughs> my dad actually is a professor of transportation industry management. So I know a bit or two about sidewalks, Ay. And lanes, Ay. And highway management. Ay. Ay. Life so, is a highway. Life is a highway. I won't ride it all night long. That's a rascal flat song. I know, but the way he said it kind of made me uncomfortable <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You know how it goes. I want to ride it all night long. I'm glad you looked at Michelle when you said I, that. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that Wait, that was, that was from a Cars movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a rascal flat song. My daughter and I were watching that. I want to ride it all night long is what they say. It's in about a kid's life. Movie? It's about life. Michelle, get your head out of the gutter. Okay. Mm, yeah. All right. Well. But no, but, but to, just to finish that off, though, it's just that like. If people would do the work of figuring out who they are 
And then once they like really have some deep conviction about who they are, what they want to be, then you go about finding your tribe, right? Like mm-hmm. my audience is not like followers. They are people that think and look at things like I do. You know what I mean? Or like they like and, and all you using social media platform, uh, social media platform for in my mind is to be social. Like we're supposed to be engaging in conversations. And I look at everybody that follows me as somebody that I would want to have a conversation with. Like if you agree with my viewpoints or if whatever and you hit me and send me a dm like i talk in my dm so much to people about like yo i think this and this what you think about that like i think this da, 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 da. and it could be political it could be golf related so it's like i haven't built a following this is like a community of people that see the world through a similar lens wow. as i do and you can't like you you can't fake that you know what i mean and and so you have to know who you are so you can understand who you want to spend time around yeah. and then all these people just make that decision when they hit follow and they're like yeah i want to spend some digital time with you dog like you cool huh. that's the whole purpose of this thing you know i really i never thought about it or heard anybody describe it like that cuz i think most people just assume they're like oh i want to just build a following and i want people to follow me no, as opposed to no. like i want to build a community and i want to engage i need to get better at social media man i just like sometimes throw out a puppy pick here and there but but it's Food because you want to talk about puppies though it's like true. so let's I didn't think about it that way and and you want people that also yeah. maybe like golfing also want to talk about puppies like what my people let that like golfing puppies let's talk like this you know what i mean and that's yeah. every every post is an opportunity to have that's why i don't post a whole lot because i don't like i don't have a lot of stuff to talk about sometimes you know i'll be too busy living and i you know i need to I need to make more time to kind of unpack some of my thoughts and experiences and see how people feel. But it's really just an opportunity for conversation with people that either share your interests, value your viewpoints. And y'all are creating these platforms, create a space for y'all to have dialogue. But I think, I mean, that's what I love about your posting, Rogers. Like you really provide a lot of value. I guess the ultimate goal is to provide value at scale, Mm -hmm. but you obviously have to balance that with the rest of your life. But I would much rather follow someone like Roger who provides value however many times a, a week or month that yeah. he posts, as opposed to someone who's posting three to four times of a day, just empty bull crap, because that's what the Instagram algorithm, TikTok, whatever, says that he needs to do to build his following. Right. It's so clear, too, if you're just trying to build a following or like Roger, you're trying to actually build a community. Yeah. And it's just like, I will argue that there's people, you, you look at the term influencer and it's like, in order for me to be an influencer, I got to have X amount of followers and it got to be like this and this and this. But like, I know people that got 500 followers that like that, those 500 followers so in tune with them that they, if they threw an event, all them people would show up. Right. And it's like, damn, but you also know people that got a million followers that couldn't get 10 people to like yeah. buy something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I just think that like when you when you looking at like I want to be influential, like take the numbers out of it and look at like the quality of the connections that you have with the community that you have access right. to. Because it's like if your 500 people, your, your 75 people are dope people, bro, you, you won already. Right. And that's like with these like C-level executives and stuff, they don't need social media because their real life network is like that. Like, they don't, like, I'll be trying to talk to people like, hey, man, you know, I'm having dinner with the, like, the people that work at Silver Lake. Like, Cosio, this dude named Greg, he cool he cool as ever. And it's like, why do this dude need Instagram or 
TikTok, he's connected to any, they're in his phone already. You know what I'm saying? Uh And so I just think that like you got to like take the numbers away and focus on the quality of the connections that you're making and the type of people that you're connecting and engaging with and the numbers don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like I would enjoy myself with, with. 50 followers if they were like the dope like a dope 50 you know what i'm saying (laughs) i love that i love that i'm taking notes right now yeah me too i'm I'm like like, really thinking about my social media brand strategy and what value i'm bringing roger's gonna send us a bill (laughs) (laughs) for a consultant i I feel like i have identity crisis like post golf identity crisis because my feed was like literally all golf i would play in a tournament and be like oh ready for the weekend like i had my posts down right like i would make the cut let's make some birdies or like you know post my golf outfits and you know i don't really like play golf that much anymore like yeah. what am i doing like i feel like if i put po- now i'm like into gardening and pickleball and i feel like if i do like a lot of that then i don't know i'm having like an identity crisis so i'm learning a lot right now i'm taking notes but well, let's reconnect in a month and maybe i'll have some sort of but that's identity. but that's why like <laughs> things like this are so important right is like it's collaboration right and social media gives you a chance to like publicly collaborate so say for instance like, you a legend, and nobody going to take that away from you ever, you know? So, but it's like, if you want to do gardening content, like, who killing it in the gardening space? And it's like, oh. yo, let's me and you link up, and let's go oh. let's go spend time in the garden, and let's go spend time on the golf course. And, like, you show me gardening, I show you golf, and, like, let's garden on the golf course, you know what I mean? And it's like, but, oh. but, the, but the opportunity is, like, through collaboration, we're able to, in, like, explore the complexities of our existence, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So, like, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself in the golf and force a golf identity if that's not what it is no more like you it's but 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 it's there's so many intersections and these platforms allow us so many ways to engage with each other that that's really the opportunity like it, we're really connected to the entire world i love mike and ikes they got mike and ikes over here i've been looking at those the whole time if i want to do a golf and candy collab like yo who the candy dude out here like we need to do you know what i mean we need to do a candy golf da 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 and it's we can do that. I love you know? a good collab. Yeah. yeah. Love, love a good collab. collab. All right, Roger. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, even better than the first time around, like you like you predicted. All right. Well, to finish off, we are going to do five questions for Roger Steele presented by Five Iron Golf. Let's go. If you could, excuse me, if you could have any tour player's golf swing, whose would it be? You got to take Rory. You have to. Rory. Yeah, Rory. You have yeah, to. I feel like we had a conversation about this as well. It was like a pretty intimate conversation. Like yeah. I would I would marry Rory's golf swing. I would swing. date Rory's golf swing. Uh, yeah, we would dated. be a th- we'd be a thruple in this yeah. golf swing. Yeah, like okay. yeah, like I would put a ring on it. Okay, you would put a ring on Rory's if golf swing. If I could swing. like remove his swing from his existence and like have it here sitting as a thing next to me, like Rory's swing, that's that's bae. Amazing. Yeah, this hurt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So you're a newly Nike athlete, both of you. Yeah. yeah. Actually, that's a question for both of you. What's your go-to golf shoe on the golf course? Ooh, this is an interesting one because it really depends on and my golf shoe tell you what kind of mood I'm in, right? It's interesting, right? So if I wear a next percent. Or I'm gonna start with an Air Max, for instance. If I wear an Air Max to a golf course, that means that 
I was likely doing something before I got here, and I knew I was going to be rushing here, and I needed to go from, like, regular life to golf course and, like, have it make sense. Mm. And so I got the Air Max on. And so, you know, I, I was busy that day, and we planned. If I show up in, like, some Jordans, that's like, okay, I'm not really taking you serious. I'm out here just to, like, mess around and, you know, we might do some content. Like, we, we chilling, you know what I mean? If I show up in the next percent, I got cruel intentions. Like, I'm really trying to demonstrate something to you. I want you to understand what the game is like, and I'm taking myself seriously right now. Get your wallets ready. Type, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's the so it it really just depends on is life getting in the way? Is it a content play or like Okay. Do I wanna every single time I play you? golf with you now? I'm gonna think I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna judge you based on yeah. your golf. You're like, oh, he came to play yeah. today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For me, I'd yeah, say I'm an Air Max gal through yeah. and through. I don't know. I, in every situation, I'm an Air Max gal. I have like some little orthotics that I put in them, Ooh. so that helps my feet feel would, nice and I would comfy. Like, I would like your orthotic game. Like, yes. hook me up with your orthotic plug. I will. I'm like, I yeah, we get a little orthotic collab. Yeah, uh, orthotic. Who the foot guy? Who, <laughs> who the foot? Who the foot person out there? Yeah. Like, let's collab. Uh, yeah. So I Air Max plus orthotics. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, what's the longest drive you ever hit? I did professional long drive in 2015 for like six months. Hit one 438. Oh my gosh. 438. 438 yards. How we much is it? Thackerville, Oklahoma. Thackerville, Oklahoma. My swing speed used to be crazy. Like, I'm not like a huge guy, but like for my size, I was swinging 140. And then I had like two, like 211, 212 ball speed, like back in 2015. Swing, oh, couldn't break 100 though. But it was very interesting to go through life and just figure out where I could max out certain things, you mm -hmm. know. But, yeah, I went to the World Long Drive Finals, and I hit one 438 in, like, one of the qualifying rounds. And that was, like, the second longest drive of that day, like, out of everybody that wow. hit. Yeah. That's insane. Okay, what shot makes you the most nervous on a golf course, and what shot are you most confident about on a golf course? <sighs> I'm uncomfortable over a lot of shots on the golf course, if I'm being honest. Uh, anytime that the wind is blowing left to right where there's OB right or hazard right, like, not in a good space. Like, not – it seems like there's a 1% probability that I hit a quality shot with left to right wind, trouble right. Like, it's just – you see the double cross or, like, the wind just has its way with, with my ball. And then the other thing that I'm also very nervous about is when my shadow is in front of me. I'm just saying. Never. Like, when my shadow is in my face, it's like, I don't know, it, like, set off my peripheral vision or something like that, and I just, like, get a little flinchy or something, and I just find it very hard to get back to the ball in a manner that, you know, that the golf ball deems appropriate uh, when my shadow is in front of me. Uh, but shots that I'm very confident in, I think that, like, a lot of people, you know, Probably just because they think that I hit the ball far. I don't think that I got a decent short game. But, like, I really love hitting wedges. So, like, anytime I get, like, a, a 56 in my hand from, like, 70 yards and in, like, any lie, any whatever, like, I feel very comfortable in those situations. I saw you hit a couple close from, was it 110? Where, when we was out at uh, Seattle, out in at Chambers. Chambers Bay? I didn't show you my best. I didn't have my club. So, like, let's It was left to right wind. Yeah, it was. And there was a bunker on the right. Exactly. So you have a problem when you don't have your own clubs, Roger. Yes, I do. <laughs> Chill out, Harry. We'll leave that for another time. <laughs> Last question. Dream foursome. My dream foursome. This is the one that I should I should have a stock answer for this. I should. No, I like whatever comes to mind. It can be evolving. 
because I'm so appreciative of my dad forcing me into this game, my pops got to be a part of the foursome. You know what I mean? So he coming. My pops adopted son is Tiger, so Tiger got to be there. You know, I might actually not play and just ride around. You know what I mean? Just keep that in the, in the back pocket. But I think that, like, the fourth that I would add to that group, I need to put somebody that, that – this is, like, dead or alive? Mm-hmm, yeah. Hmm. I think I would actually put, like, a Martin Luther – I don't even know if he played golf, but, like, I would make him come onto the golf course to experience the game. So we would have to pick, like, a Muni or something like that. But I would love to, like, for the conversations that we could probably have around, like – what you know our history is past the present and like look at how the whole world is is kind of shifted so it'd probably be like i would sit out it would be my dad tiger mlk and barack wow can i come watch right why would i play go wow that was like i have to say that was the best answer i've ever heard for yeah. a dream foursome well yeah. just because i would love to see like like what everybody learned through their experience and like the more time I spend at Nike like I learned stuff about Tiger that I just never knew that he was processing and contemplating and stuff like that and I'm just like bro like to have you in a space where you feel comfortable opening up around other leaders and just like that would be a powerful thing especially seeing how impactful the game has been for me to understand what he navigated and what he paved the way for and, and essentially all these people paved the way for so that'd be That'd be I a love dream. it. Great answer. Well, thank you, Five Iron, for those five questions. Roger, a little Five Iron plug. I know you're an ambassador for them. Tell us what Five Iron is, where can people find them, et cetera. Well, you can find them in pretty much every city in the world after 2023. <laughs> no, but we, I, they, they growing well, but it's like, it's the dopest indoor uh, golf experience that, that I've had. It's like, you get to go there and really curate the golf experience that you want. Do I want to you know, develop as a player? Do I want to kick it with some homies? Do I want to get competitive with some homies? Do I want to just, you know, get some food and some drinks, go on a date? Like, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's just the perfect, it's, it's the perfect way to enjoy golf. Like, you know, when, when the course is, is not, the, uh, not an option or the weather isn't conducive. And so, yeah, Five Iron is like my second home. I'm actually petitioning uh, Jared to just put a, like a room in each location so I could just live there. So you can live? <laughs> yeah, like I, I really like it's the crib. So I just, I, I hope that he hears this and uh, and he just responds to that email. Work for a me. little studio apartment and every five iron for Roger, yep. I think is yep. ideal. And seriously, guys, check out Five Iron Golf. You can play golf, you can practice, you can party. It's an all-inclusive urban golf experience, super high-tech golfers and non-golfers alike. Make sure you mention golf mostly at checkout to get 25% off your next sim rental booking. Roger, thank you so much for joining us. We are now going to segue into our Drake interview. It's not very long, guys, but let it be known. We got Drake on the Golf Mostly podcast. Take a listen. All right, so we're here with Drake. Drake, we know you love golf. How often do you play? I played a lot um, with my uncle when I was younger. And now in my, uh, I don't want to say older years, but in my like middle of the road years, um, a lot of my friends have picked it up recently and they're getting so good that I feel so far behind. And I think I'm gonna like quietly for the next year, just like really lock in and get my swing back. Like I'm just probably so bad right now, but I spent a lot of time on the golf course as a young man at the Board of Trade and at King Valley, like different courses around where we live. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely a part of my history, for sure. Absolutely. What was your longest ride? Oh, this is like, these are horrible questions. I was like, <laughs> I was like 
thirteen or something. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't. It's nothing that okay. could ever impress me. Uh, over three hundred for sure. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. I, actually, I do have a legendary top phone. Um, drive though. I do have like a really big like back of the net. Whoa. How long? How long are those drives? Like 300. Yeah, 300. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 300. It was the tequila that night. Have you right, charged right, up? Right, yeah. right. The fine line. Yeah, yeah. The right amount of tequila. <laughs> Alright, we got two more for you. Right. Do you listen to your own music on the golf course? And if not, what do you listen to? Or do you, li do you like music on the course? I'm a man of focus if I'm trying to be competitive. So I would, I would probably, I do love, like I love to be social. You know, we obviously, we're like, my, no one's good, right? So like, everyone, by the way, everyone thinks they're incredible at golf. No one, like none of us are really good. No. Um, so uh, yeah, I wouldn't listen to music though. I like to lock in. I'm kind of the same way in the studio too. I don't really like a party in the studio. I'm, I'm a man of focus. Mm -hmm. All right. And then, last burning question, do you play with two gloves? Like in your campaign photo? Oh, do I play with two gloves? I actually probably would, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I that's like a horrible idea, but I, I, I think I was just doing uh, two gloves for the look, but I'll try it out, I'll see. All right, yeah. okay. I'm looking forward to my return to the, I'll, I'll have like way better answers for you in like, give me like eight months. Perfect, right. yeah. We will, we'll circle back. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, yeah. awesome, all right. Next year. We found him. All right. I totally forgot that he said he would play golf with two gloves. Roger, thoughts on Drake playing golf with two gloves? I just thought that, like, that was the most, like, the most that I ever felt like I actually connected with Drake watching that interview. Like, I saw him as a human being right there. So, like, kudos to y'all for, like, cornering him by a bathroom and making him <laughs> talk to y'all. Because, I mean, he just really showed, he showed me a lot of stuff, like the body language, the responses. Like, you know, Drake be talking wild stuff on his songs and to see him like that, it's like, man, you you a real, real person, regular person, you know. The two-glove things, Drake, we cannot allow that. I will not allow that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I just don't think that that's necessary. Uh, but, yeah, that was that was a dope interview, guys. I forgot that he told us that we were asking him horrible questions. I know. No, he said that you asked him a horrible question. If we been, if we just being honest, he okay, said I asked him a horrible question. I was curious. I, I was trying to keep it fast. Yeah. You know, I was trying to give an opportunity to give fast answers. Exactly. But he was he was he, ready for the long haul. Yeah. He was. He was. He was. In, he was locked in. He wasn't trying to get away. He was like he was there with y'all. Yeah. I really think that what I would have forced the issue on is like locking in a date that uh for that, the when we said we'll circle back or no just to like no I'm going to get you on a golf course and where and I would have like left there with some type of soft you know confirmation of when the next link up would be yeah we we missed the boat on that one I know well next next year but that's we'll why that's why y'all need to smuggle me into the secret corners of world headquarters next time y'all hey, we there were trying. i know it was we, we were texting it was you hard. we were trying and it was hard it was hard. i, I, I thought it was going to be a group thing yeah 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 but I, I mean i don't think you were headed to the women's bathroom with us anyway so <laughs> why was, wait why was why was drake by the women's bathroom <laughs> man no, it was more of a hallway situation. We do not need to be putting anything weird out there. Drake was not near the women's bathroom. It was a hallway. Or en route. En route. Yes, exactly. Is it en route or en route? En route. En route? Oh, because I'm from the streets. I'm supposed to know. Yeah. you. <laughs> what are you? Are you en route on the sidewalk highway? No, it's not en route. It's en route. En route. I don't know. En route. English, I'm right? en route. Route. No. En route. En Routing. I don't know. We'll I'm look that up. Island, okay, anyways. So. Great episode, guys. Nike, Roger Steele, Drake. Yep. 
Roger, thank you so much again for your time. Thank y'all. Absolute pleasure. Can we lock down a, a time for us to get on the course, though? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay. You know, y'all right. just let me know. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll wear the appropriate shoes. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Golf Mostly. Roger, where can people find you on social if they don't already follow you? You could just follow me on Instagram, or you could just follow Hallie. I'll be popping up on her social media. Like, so wherever they follow her, you might be able to find me as well. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, just Instagram, Roger underscore Stew. And then us, we're at Golf Mostly on Instagram and TikTok. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.